Hey, good morning. Welcome to the creek. I'm glad you're here. If this is your first time, if you would, just fill out one of those guest cards um, just so we can get some information about you and start a dialogue about uh, what it's like, what we're about, what the creek is about, what it's like to engage in a, a church community. I know there are many great church communities all around us. I meet with uh, several pastors in our area weekly, and uh, we pray for you. Uh, we pray for uh, the church um, as our brothers and sisters, and we, uh, we just get together. We make fun of ourselves, we make fun of each other, and we talk ministry. So I know there's a lot of great churches around, and thank you for being here this morning. Um, church family, love you guys. I'm glad you're here. I'm ready to lock in. I was off last week. Mike did an amazing job. Is Mike back in here today? Where's he at? He snuck out. He's really humble. Um, uh, he did an amazing job, and so I hope you had a great Thanksgiving and uh, locked into the Christmas season and ready to go. It's uh, my favorite. This is my favorite month of the year between Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's just, you know, there's there's freedom to eat more. Um, there, there's shopping. There's food. There's just the, the, the festive lights and music. Thanksgiving Day, we fired up the uh, Christmas music, so it's all good to go. Um, we, Abby and I were kind of jumping the gun, much to Heather's chagrin, but we were just, we couldn't wait. Um, this is the first Christmas in, I think, four years our family hasn't had some kind of uh, something going on, some kind of turmoil or move or uh, getting ready to launch a church. So uh, we have taken uh, all of Christmas in this year, and uh, it looks like Christmas threw up in our house. So I love it. Um, it's just great. But we're starting a new series today, and um, it's called Pneumatology, and it's the study of the Holy Spirit. When you break down the word pneuma and pneumatology, pneuma is the Greek word for spirit. Uh, sometimes it's translated wind. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, you hear that there was a mighty rushing wind uh, that came into the upper room, uh, and then ology is the study of. And so we're going to spend a couple weeks talking about the study of the Holy Spirit, and I hope that through this you gain a, a, a deeper understanding and a, a, just a deeper love for God. Um, I think that some of us come to the table as a blank slate on the subject of the Holy Spirit, where maybe you grew up not being taught anything about uh, the Holy Spirit. Maybe you grew up in a church where uh, the book of Acts was just kind of stuck together. It was kind of one of the books you didn't realize existed. Um, and uh, some of you, I understand this, may be coming with presuppositions or uh, let's call it baggage. Let's get to what it really is. And maybe you're, when I say we're going to do a study on the Holy Spirit, you may think back to past experience, uh, what someone has taught you about it, um, or even some of you may bring fears uh, to this discussion. And so I hope that we can kind of go through all of that rise above that, and I hope that at the end of this, you have a deeper appreciation for God. We're going to do this series, and uh, we're going to go through the holidays, and then in January, we're going to go back into a book study, because uh, we really like that here um, at the Creek, is teaching through a book. When we launched a year and a half plus, a uh, little bit, on the book of Matthew, and so I want to get back into that. But if you've got your Bible, go to Acts chapter 1, and uh, we're going we're gonna to be in there today. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles on the end of the rows. You can take that and make it your own. Write your name in it, though. So if you forget it or leave it, or your Bible, write your name. Make sure your name is in your Bible, because when we tear down every week, uh, sometimes we find a stray Bible, and that way we know who it can belong to. I um, want to give you some ideas on why we're doing this series. Uh, 
I think it's important for us to teach and understand the truth about the Holy Spirit. The Scripture teaches us throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, is just, it's a study of the third person of the triune God. See, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we tend to, to miss out on some of our teaching and how the Holy Spirit has worked through creation. The, the Trinity uh, is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are distinct, yet three in one. You know, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father. They're distinct, yet they are God. And I want to bring some understanding more to who the Holy Spirit is. And so uh, the Bible teaches us a lot about this. Also, uh, I've had several questions. A lot of people in our community have been asking questions about this, and I've had some great meetings, and, and uh, we've had some great discussions, but I want to kind of talk to some of the things that, that I see uh, us being uh, questioned in our church community. And then really, I hope that we kind of define more who we are or understand more who we are I tend to see that um, launching a new church and being non-denominational, people want to categorize. I, we're humans, okay? We just want to put things in nice, neat boxes and put a label on it and say, that's what that is, that's what that is. And I, I really don't think you can categorize the creek. Um, here's why. Um, I know some of you have come from a Bible church background, and when people will say, well, I like the creek because it's like a Bible church or a Bible church. And my response is, if you mean that we teach Scripture verse by verse and we get into the context of Scripture and teach the Word of God and the truth that we try to pull ourselves out of this, experience Scripture for who Jesus really is, and let that transform us, then you bet, man, we are a Bible church. Sign me up. Uh, but if you think that we're a specific genre of churches that have a theological basis uh, that some of you may understand Bible churches to have, then we're not. The, the bigger question I get, and it's going to happen here shortly because we've got a mailer going out for Christmas. And I know when that mailer starts being uh, delivered in mailboxes, not because the marketing company calls me, not because I check web traffic, but because my email and my phone blow up. And I get all kinds of questions. It's a fun time of year for me. Um, I love, I, I, if you don't know me, you know I love to talk. We can meet for an hour meeting, and we're going to be there for two hours. I love to talk. I love to talk theology. I, I love to talk about anything, honestly. Um, we used to joke about my grandfather and send him to the store for a, just a carton of milk, and he'd be gone for two hours because he'd end up talking to everybody in the grocery store. Heather's making fun of me because I'm turning into my grandfather. Um, but I, I love engaging in conversation. And one of the questions I get when these mailers come out is, uh, I've gotten emails that says, just says this, are you charismatic? And uh, depending on what type of mood I'm in, I, I have a spiritual gift of sarcasm, by the way. And um, <laughs> depending on what mood I'm in w will be how I engage with that question. Uh, or sometimes I will choose to engage a different way. One thing I learned from a mentor of mine is that when... Uh, someone is asking a question that can be that open, uh, that broad, it's best to respond with questions. You know, what do you mean? You know, what do you mean charismatic? You know, because we tend to create hyper views in our culture uh, of what charismatic means. Uh, I will answer uh, something similar to this, that the word charisma 
or charismata is grace gift, and that I hope that God has gifted our church community. I hope that the Holy Spirit is working, because also they'll, they'll respond, are you spirit-filled? I, yes, by all means. I mean, the, the Spirit of God has to fill us. Otherwise, we're doing this for nothing. I mean, we're gathering in a daycare center. We've got people that are getting up early and working in the rain to set this up. And then we, we have people that are pouring and investing themselves and their time into putting music together and teaching together and trying to bond in community together. And if the Spirit of God is not in it, it's dead. It's useless. And so, yes, if you say, are we a charismatic church, then on those guidelines, by all means, yes, we are. But if you mean, are we a charismatic church and we subscribe to a hyper set of views on how the Holy Spirit moves and how we should subscribe to how the Holy Spirit indicates his presence in a church service, then no, we're not. Um, And that's just the way we are. Now, I don't know what our label is. I really don't want to put a label on us. I want to hope that God is doing something new. Um, I hope that as much as we try to put ourselves in a box, that God just takes us out of the box. Um, so that our minds are engaging with the truth of Scripture and that we don't come to this with presuppositions and that we don't come to this with our own fears or what we don't want God to do or what we do want God to do, but we engage with the truth of Scripture. And so let's, let's spend some time uh, this morning dealing with this. Let's, let's start out in here. Acts 1, I'm going to start in verse 1, and uh, we'll go from there. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, what's going on is, you know, part of the gospel. Uh, Jesus was born of a virgin. We're celebrating Christmas. Uh, Jesus is born of a virgin, and he comes to earth. He lives a perfect life. He gives himself as, as a sacrifice. He's, died, he's crucified on the cross. He's placed in a tomb. He's raised from the dead on the third day. That's why we celebrate Easter. And then he, uh, ascend, he uh, spent 40 days on earth, and he appeared to different people. There is historical documented evidence that Jesus was seen with people. And he gave many convincing proofs. You can find evidence of Jesus outside of Scripture. But he's saying, I appeared to them, and he spent time with the apostles. And then on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What he's talking about, he says this in John several times, that it's better that I go away. Because when I go, when Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit descended. He goes, look, I know you've been spending time with me, and it's good. I love hanging out with you. But it is better for you that I go. Trust me. And so he's explaining this to his disciples, his apostles. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? These, these men had spent three, three and a half years following Jesus. Okay, think about it. You're in a small group with God, okay? You, you have campfire talk time with God. I'm sure the discussions, I, 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 would, I can't wait to have that kind of time, one-on-one, face-to-face with God. But these men did. But the view of the Messiah at this time was that when the Messiah comes, he's going to free 
the kingdom of Israel from the Roman oppression. When you think about the kingdom of Israel, it's really just a history of, of a bad relationship. It's the people of God that find themselves fully in love with God and serving Him wholeheartedly, and then something happens. Idolatry or, or pride or greed gets in the way, and, and all of a sudden they find themselves out of God's favor, away from God, serving whatever else other than God, and God puts them through some situation. Sometimes it's slavery, sometimes it's oppression. Then they return back to Him, and they go, God, we're sorry, we're back, we walked away, we cheated on you. I'm sorry. We're back. We're here. We're committed. We'll do counseling. Whatever it takes, we're in. And then we realize that's not going to last long. And so this is the history of the nation of Israel in a nutshell. And what they're asking Jesus is like, okay, so you are the Messiah. We believe that. You've, you died for us as prophecy told us. You have risen as prophecy told us. Now are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Because we're tired of living under this oppressive rule. And Jesus answers them this way. He said, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father is set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What Jesus is saying is, you're, you're thinking narrow scope, guys. You're thinking kingdom of Israel. This is the problem, and we need the Messiah to fix this problem because we're reducing everything down to this scope. And Jesus is saying, it's the kingdom of heaven. Quit looking at the kingdom of Israel. I'm building the kingdom of heaven. And he says, you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses. Now, if you, if you write in your Bible, which I highly recommend, or underline, underline, be my witnesses. There's, there's, let me just give you this. And so you, here's the feel-good moment. Witnesses is translated martyrs. Think about the fate of the apostles. What Jesus is telling them is like, you're thinking about the kingdom of, God, of, kingdom of Israel. I'm talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And you will receive power to be my martyrs in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. There's nothing sexy about being a witness. You think about, I don't know if you've ever had to do jury duty. I did it one time. Got the summons, and it got me out of work, and I was like, sweet. <laughs> I got selected for jury duty. I was like, no. I don't know if you've ever been in a trial where you were the witness that, you know, there's no way to be prideful about that. Um, it's not like the defense attorneys that come in with a team and the prep and they get the check, you know, or the judge sitting looking all fancy in the courtroom environment. And then you walk up as a witness and, you know, put your hand on something and do you promise to swear? Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you, whoever now in America. Um, and then you just give your testimony. Well, the blue car hit the red car. Is that all you saw? That's all I saw. Thank you very much. You may step down. You see, when, when it says that you'll be my witnesses, we're just to testify to, the, to what Jesus is doing. The, uh, the disciples had spent three years with them, and all their job was is the Holy Spirit's going to give you power to be my witnesses to tell what you saw. And when, he, when it's translated martyrs, it means that you are going to die because of what you saw. 
and because of what you have put your life in, your faith in, and your hope in. For us, bring it, bring it up a little bit to today. When we're God's witnesses, uh, we don't argue with people about the kingdom of heaven. We can't argue someone into the kingdom of God. We can't argue life transformation. All we can do is be witnesses. All I can tell you is what God's done in my life. And, and here's the martyr side of that. You may be cut off in relationship from them. Very few of us are going to be faced to physically die for our faith. Let's just be honest with that. In the age we live in, that's, that's typically the case. But you may lose some relationships. It also means you've got to die to yourself because when you get up on the witness stand, uh, the attention's on you. And, and I, I know we have introverts and extroverts. The bottom line is we all crave attention. And when it comes on us, we have a desire to make it worth our while. And so you've got to die to that. You've got to die to that. He says, you'll be my witnesses. You see, some of us think this power of the Holy Spirit, um, you may have grown up in a church where you associate that with an experience. So where you think the power of the Holy Spirit is associated with a moment. Um, We look at the disciples and this power of the Holy Spirit um, was not just associated with a moment. When you read Acts 2, it's in your future reading. That's the day of Pentecost. It's when the Holy Spirit separates on tongues of fire on, his, on the people in the upper room. And they go out and they preach the word of God. They make Jesus very clear. When the Holy Spirit empowers you, he's going to make Jesus very clear. The Holy Spirit will not do anything to confuse who Jesus is. If, the whole, if you think the Holy Spirit's moving and you're more confused about who Jesus is, that's probably not the Holy Spirit. And so... They didn't go back to the moment of the upper room trying to recreate emotionally that experience. They moved on because the power transcends a moment. The power of the Holy Spirit is not for a moment, but for a movement. And that movement is the mission of Jesus. And, And when we understand this, we understand that what Jesus is saying is the ability to fulfill the mission of God is fully dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. See, I think the bottom line thing is us as Americans, as American Christians, we're underdeveloped in areas of the Holy Spirit. And I think we've got to take some time and understand this. Uh, the first areas we're under-informed. We, we've just, we, maybe we've never been taught, or honestly, we might have been taught something wrong. Most people, when surveyed, believe something based on what someone else has told them, not what they've learned. There is a difference there. My hope is that you don't base your beliefs on what I tell you. I'm not here to tell you what to believe. I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm here to walk with you through the truth of Scripture so that you can engage truth and understand the truth. If you expect me to tell you what to believe, here's the problem. I am sinful. I am fallen. I am not perfect. I do have errors. Scripture is the inerrant word of God. When we partner to say, you know what, we're going to take our presuppositions aside and we're going to face Scripture, we'll get in there and learn the truth. And honestly, truth may correct me. Truth may correct you, but truth is going to guide us. Now, I want to give you a little bit of of history lesson here. Um, so you can understand kind of where we're, where we're coming from. Uh, this uh, box that they're going to put up is called the Christian Orthodoxy Box. Um, everything within this box 
is the Christian orthodoxy. Um, it's basically what we could consider unity in the, in the essentials. I know this is going to be a little heady. So for those of you that are head-first people, this is in your wheelhouse. For those of you that are the, the more touchy-feely heart-first, I'll tell a joke in just a minute, but I, I want to get through this. Um, but you look at this box. This box is all of Christian orthodoxy. And, and there are uh, closed-handed things or unity in the essentials that we, 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 wrestle, we wrap our hands around with. And the, those things are basic. Those are central and element elementary to the Christian Orthodox faith. That is creation, that God spoke everything. God created everything. Evolution can go in the open hand, that that God may work within his creation to, to grow and to change. But the bottom line is God created everything. He spoke it into existence. That the scripture is the inerrant word of God. It is the living, breathing word of God, inspired Uh, the virgin birth, that Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus is the Son of God, gave himself on the cross, was laid in a tomb, was resurrected, was ascended into heaven, and he will come back. When will he come back? We'll open hand that. We can have discussions. Is it before the tribulation, after, middle, when? Some of you that just glazed over. That closed hand, yes, Jesus is coming back. If you get outside of any of those essentials, if you don't have unity in those essentials, you're not talking about a Christian Orthodox box. You are talking about something else. And, and I'm speaking here in context of the Christian Orthodox box of, of what has been agreed that is, is central to the Christian faith and Christianity. Now, about 1,000 A.D., there was a split and a division that happened um, where you get Eastern Orthodoxy and Western Orthodoxy. The Eastern Orthodoxy uh, followed more of the pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit, more of the spiritual things, and Western Orthodoxy follows Christology or the study in the person of Christ. Neither one of those it, it's, it is wrong. It's just there has been a division on where the focus is. We're still Christians. We're still brothers and sisters. We're still in the Orthodox box. We may do church differently, but we're still brothers and sisters. We are unified by the same Spirit. There is diversity in this body. Uh, We tend to fall more under the Western side um, of the Christology. Then there was a a division in about 1833 where Western Orthodox Christianity split into different, uh, three or four different major theology or theological thoughts or schools. Um, You have dispensationalism was the big one. Dispensationalism is uh, God dispenses His gifts for different purposes at different times, that God will empower his church for the furtherance of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. God's at work building his kingdom. Remember, Jesus says, it's not a narrow scope, it's the kingdom of heaven, and I will empower you, the Holy Spirit will empower you to grow the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and that God will dispense his gifts through the Holy Spirit so that those tasks get completed. And then you have another division uh, led by a theological tradition called cessationism. And cessationism is the belief theologically that uh, once the apostles died, that the gifts are no longer dispensed or the gifts have ceased. And, and this theology comes from a few scriptures uh, that, that are used to support this idea. But you see where we're still in the Christian Orthodox box. And we're narrowing the scope and narrowing the scope and narrowing the scope. 
Here's the problem with boxes. God doesn't like boxes. God says, I, I, I transcend all of that. What I'm trying to say with this is that sometimes we want to explain everything and we have to categorize it. We want to be able to explain everything that we experience. This is a modern thought. This is how do we quantify our feelings? How do we put measurements and and, uh, metrics to things in our world and in our faith? How do we reconcile this? When you talk to teenagers today, the majority of teenagers are really shifting into a different thought pattern of what some sociologists call postmodern, where we're moving from the metric system to more of an experiential system, which tends to fall more onto the Eastern Orthodox side. Sociologists believe that the nail in the coffin of modern thought happened on January 28, 1986 when all of America centered around one TV screen, a unified TV screen to watch the space shuttle launch. And sociologists say that because one O-ring failure, that all of our ingenuity and all of our expertise and knowledge exploded that day where we cannot quantify everything we experience. You see, I, I hope that with Scripture... Instead of us using Scripture to narrow us down into boxes, we let Scripture blow the walls off of what we think. Because the Bible is going to push the envelope. It pushes it socially. It pushes it scientifically. It's going to stretch us, and I hope that we can do that. I hope that we can make a commitment with each other to engage truth and let truth shape and transform how we think. So uh, let's talk about who the Holy Spirit is. But before we do that, here's your joke I promised. Here is who the Holy Spirit is not. That's for your heart, people. You're welcome. And we're back. Cousin It. We associate movements of the Holy Spirit with Cousin It, you know, the Adams family, where he shows up and it gets awkward. Um, you know, you're just like, uh, I, you know, or the creepy uncle at Christmas, you know, the one you're like, I don't know if we should invite him, but we probably should because we don't want to cause issues with the family. Um, if you're kind of wondering what this creepy uncle thing is, you might want to do some self-examination because you just might be that guy. Um, <laughs> but we think that the Holy Spirit uh, is, is going to show up and it's going to get weird. And, and, Uh, We've got to get away from that. We've got to let Scripture uh, move us to the truth of who the Holy Spirit is. Here's the sad fact um, that a a survey was done in Americans. 49% of Americans believe that the Holy Spirit is a nondescript uh, nondescript character of God, or it's like Christian karma or luck. To to explain that, yesterday Heather and I went shopping. Um, I don't know why I offered to go with her, but I did. But we had to go to Target. And it was raining, and so I said, I'll drop you off at the front door because I'm just that kind of guy. And um, I'm scoring points. And, and so she gets out of the car, and I look down the aisle that I'm going to choose to attack. Um, and I see a spot open three spaces from the front, and there's no challenge to it. Guys, you understand? Ladies, there's no challenge to it. There's no car coming. So you don't play the blinker game. You just, you know. And I pull in. I was like, Yes! And I walk in, I was like, Heather, I got one three from the front. 
And she no, she goes, that was quick. How'd you get in so fast? I was like, favor ain't fair. And uh, so I said, you know, God opened up that spot. Some of us think that the Holy Spirit is that, that it's like good Christian karma because, because I was a nice man and I let my wife off at the front door in the rain, that the Holy Spirit has blessed me with a third row parking spot. And that is not the case. The Holy Spirit is a distinct person of the Trinity. Uh, when, when the Holy Spirit moves, I've said this, that he makes Jesus clear. Uh, if, if it gets weird, we have to question, where did we get in the way? Uh, I told you that pneuma is also translated wind. Think of it like blowing up a balloon. You hold a balloon and you fill that balloon with air. You have animated that balloon. You have put life into that balloon. Now, let's say you just let go of that balloon and spit and air go everywhere. When was that balloon out of control? When you let go of it. When the Holy Spirit moves on you, uh, he's going to make Jesus clear. He's going to give wind. He's going to animate the gospel and make clear who Jesus is. When we lose control is when it gets dangerous and the crazy uncle is coming out. And I question whether or not that's the Holy Spirit. And so we, we've got to understand this. So who is the Holy Spirit? First thing, he's personal. The Holy Spirit existed at creation and was part of creating us. Scripture tells us that we were formed from the earth, from the dirt, and God breathed his life in it. That breath is the same word. That's the Hebrew word that, that is translated back to the Greek word pneuma. He breathed his life in us. He animated us. He blew his breath into us. He filled us up, and he was, he's very personal. When you look through the Old Testament, the references of the Holy Spirit, you look at the nation of Israel, the fire that led them by night and the cloud by day. That was the presence of God in their life, that the Holy Spirit was leading a group of people corporately. In Acts chapter 2, you read that tongues of fire separated on them as individuals. In, in the changing of the Testaments with the sacrifice of Jesus and the, the prophecy being fulfilled that he was resurrected, Jesus goes up, Holy Spirit comes down, that instead of leading corporately, he's leading individually. And so these tongues of fire rest on people. It's very personal. In the Old Testament, God has a, a, a temple for his people. In the New Testament, we are his temple. He's made it very personal, and he's gotten into our space. The Holy Spirit is also our supplier. Scripture teaches us that every good and perfect gift comes from God. The Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit is the supplier. He is the one that when we pray, and I'm not talking about parking spots on the third row. I'm talking about the providence, our daily bread. He is our supplier. He's our comforter. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as a comforter numerous times in his gospel in the accounts and in, in his ministry on earth. When you feel the presence of God, when you're like, I, I just feel so close to God, that's the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Um, he, when you feel just like, and I say this sometimes, it's like, I just feel like God's hugging me. I just feel the arms of God wrapping around my soul. That's the Holy Spirit. He is our comforter. That's the present in our life. He's our cleanser. Or you could say convictor. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts us. He is the one that convicts us of our sin 
and gives us the power to repent, to turn from it. Now, some of you blame me for the conviction, and that's okay, I'll take it, because I may say something and the Holy Spirit's working on you, and you'll go, well, Matt said that. So I'm mad at Matt. I'll take that, because I'm the same way. Me too on that. I have elders. I have have a team around me, and they will say things, and the Holy Spirit will use those to convict me, and I blame them. (laughs) The bottom line, the Holy Spirit is, he, he... brings that conviction. Uh, when, when I have that conversation, I'm like, I didn't really handle that correctly. The Holy Spirit brings that check in to say, hey, hey, hey. You, the, no. Those of you who are mothers understand that. That's, that kinda, that's the mothering nature of God, is that that wasn't right. And he gives us the power to change. He's also the revealer. I don't know if you've read, been reading Scripture and you're like, I've read this passage like five times. I've read this, you know, why is this on here again? I'll put the future for the further study in your, in your notes each week. And sometimes you get the same passage that you got maybe a couple weeks ago because it still fits in and it, it ties in there. And you may read it and you go, I never saw this before. It's like, it's like a, my eyes have been opened to this for the first time. That's the revelation of the Holy Spirit where he is leading you into knowledge. He is leading you into truth. He is revealing those things of God. When you pray, God, I want to know more of you, he's going to lead you in that revelation. And that, that, those are some characteristics of the Holy Spirit. The, the problem that we have with the Holy Spirit is this. We tend to, um, it's, here's another heady word, anthropomorphic qualities. We can think of God as Father because we, we, we can physically understand what a Father is like. Now, you may or may not have had a great relationship with your Father, but it's something you can wrap your mind around of God being a Father. When we talk about God the Son, the Holy God, Jesus is the Son, you can think in physical terms of a Son and what that's like. But when we think of the Holy Spirit, it's hard for us to assign qualities, physical qualities to a spirit. And so we've got to under, understand that we're under-informed. We're also under-dependent. I think this is a problem with us in American churches. I think we've created a program We've got a formula that works. You know, we've got, uh, we, we can pretty much program God out of our services and, and sadly probably grow a church based on a personality. We've become underdependent on churches. Uh, let, me, let me tell you something. Uh, I am completely dependent and reliant on the Holy Spirit. Monday morning, I, hit, I get back in the office And I'm on my knees going, God, I have to have your Holy Spirit. I need you to fill me so we can see transformation and life change. Let me read to you here. Uh, It's um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 4. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 4. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's will men's wisdom, but on God's power. See, here's the thing. I I can have uh, words I can say. I can plan what I'm going to say. But unless the power of the Holy Spirit is present, nothing's going to happen. In the first service, I was noticing in worship, we're singing Christmas songs, and one of the backgrounds had like moving snowflakes. And I found myself focusing on these moving snowflakes and thinking, Adam did a great job picking out backgrounds for the worship this week. But let's be honest, moving backgrounds are never going to bring anybody to the transforming 
life-saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We have very nifty LED lights. We have uh, these nice curtains to keep the, keep the ghetto factor down. Although I, want, I, I do want to keep a little bit of ghetto factor in our church. Even if God blesses us with a brand new building, we're going to build it just a little bit ghetto, just so you know. Um, that's to keep us humble, honestly. Because none of this stuff brings transformation. I'm not smart enough. I'm not funny enough. I'm not engaging enough. I don't have the ability to transform your life. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. And on Monday morning, I'm begging God, God, give me the words to speak so that your power will move through them and life changes a result. So that when I teach the scripture, when I'm sharing a story, when I tell a joke, when I tell a talk through a chart, that the Holy Spirit is working in you to reveal new truth, to convict you, to bring that comfort to you. And that can only happen through the Holy Spirit, not what I can do. If you're dependent on me for your spiritual growth, we're both in trouble. We have to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. If you want a good book resource to read about the Holy Spirit, Francis Chan wrote a book called The Forgotten God. And he made a comment that said, if the Holy Spirit isn't present, then we're in trouble. Honestly, my prayer, God, I, I, I do want people to show up to the creek each week. Most importantly, I want you. Early on, there were times when it was only God in our services. <laughs> I was asking the core team, I was like, hey, uh, I know we just launched a second service, but uh, Cowboys game and rain, can you go back to the second service and really enjoy it, you know? But we've, we've become underdependent on the power of God. Our problem in America is not that we're too weak, it's that we're too strong. And we just supported Kidstan that went to Nepal on a mission trip. Completely different spiritual climate. Falls more under the Eastern Orthodox. Oh my goodness. The differences of a spiritual climate half a world away. And we've got to get back to this dependence on God. If Jesus is talking to his disciples here, and Jesus believes that his disciples that followed him, that were in a small group with God, needed the power of the Holy Spirit to carry on the mission of Jesus. Who are we to think we don't need it? My prayer is that the creek is marked by our dependence on God. That when people say, you know, the people there, they might be messed up, me too, but man, God is, he's awesome. That when they look at us, they see God because our dependence rests solely on him. That whatever we do in our community, they don't see us, they see God. That when we give gifts to a school, they don't see, oh, that's a great church. They gave us gifts, they took care of our kids. No, but they say, they are dependent on God and God is doing something and God desires to do something in our community through them. We're underdependent. The other thing is we're under-involved um, we just fail to engage. Uh, sociologists believe that the reason most Americans don't engage in, in, in great causes, I mean, I know you may think that Americans engage in every cause because of the commercials that we see. I mean, Heather and I, we're watching TV and all, all, of, the, all of the organizations and societies that you can get involved and support this and support this and support this, 
but, but most Americans aren't. And the reason we're bombarded with those messages is because we will not engage. And we will not engage because we don't think our little bit will make any difference. Remember, we go for the sexy. We want the big bang. So my 19 bucks a month, my 38 bucks a month to Compassion International to sponsor a child isn't going to have any big bang. And we, so we don't get involved because we don't feel we can do anything. Or we don't engage in this, this life with God or this journey where we grow spiritually because we just can't get our minds around it. It's almost as though we want to receive God's transformation to continue living the life that we've been living so we can just live that life without the guilt. And God says, I've got a much greater mission. You're wanting to involve in the kingdom of Israel. I'm looking at the kingdom of heaven. For us, we look at the kingdom of me, and God says, I'm looking at the kingdom of heaven. And we choose not to involve because it's not as impressive. Let me just tell you this. A lot of times I hear people say, I just wish I had more of God's power in my life. I wish I had more of God in my life. And, and there are people that want to reduce this to what's the secret? Is there, is there a special prayer that I say? Is there a chant? You know, and is it, what can I do? Do I, what is the secret? And we, we reduce this in our culture. What are the top three things I can do with my money to get rich? What, what are the top three things I can do in my finances to get out of debt? What are the top three things I can do in my marriage to have a better sex life? What are the, t- you know, we want to reduce that down. You know, th- this may not be the most profound thing you hear all day. This probably is not going to make you sit at lunch and going, that just blew me away. But here, here, here's what it comes down to. It is God's word and God's spirit and you submitting to both. If you want to engage in God's power, if you want more of God's power in your life, then you take up the mission of Jesus. Well, what's the mission of Jesus? Get into Scripture and see. Well, what does the mission of Jesus look like in my life? That's where the Holy Spirit has to empower you to open your eyes and to reveal that you are in the place you're in. You, you work in the job that you work in. You go to the school you go to. You are in the places that God may use you to the people around you so that they may reach out and perhaps find God. It's Acts 17. And so we get into this mission of God. We get into the word. We say, God, I'm locking in. I want to grow in truth. Now you reveal how I live this truth out. may not be as profound as some of us think, but it's more profound than some of us can ever imagine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for your word, for your truth. God, we thank you that you are, um, there's so much mystery involved with, with even who you are as Trinity, as God our Father, God the Son who is Jesus and God the Holy Spirit. But we thank you that you work in our lives so that we can know you more. Thank you for calling us to be your witnesses. Thank you for not burdening burdening us with arguing and being your attorneys or your representatives or 
but thank you for calling us and empowering us to be your witnesses. And I pray that this week we can all uh, have that honest moment where we will truly pray to you and say, God, I need more of you. I need more of your power. Give us the courage to get engaged with truth and to walk in the life that you've created us to live. That just as the disciples, you told them you will, they will receive power to be your witnesses, that you will put us in places this week where we will also receive the power to be your witnesses because it's about the mission of Jesus. So I pray that this week everything we do, uh, everything we do makes Jesus clear, that we bring you glory through everything we do. And Father, use us in the ways that, that you desire to use us. And we love you and we thank you for our time. Bless us today. In Jesus' name, amen.